Good morning, and welcome to HR Examiner's Executive Conversations. I'm your host, John Sumpter, and today we're going to be talking with Regina Viadro, who is a technology services professional working for EPOM doing recruitment process automation. Today, we're hoping to get a good insight into what recruitment process automation means and how you'd go about implementing it in your company. Hi, Regina. How are you? Hi, John. Thanks. It's a pleasure to again. Yeah, thanks. So would you take a moment and introduce yourself and tell us uh, about your background, how you got involved in uh, RPA and what you led you to this? Sure, I uh, would love to. So um, my name is uh, my uh, entire career was spent around technology and more specifically technology consulting. Um, I have worked for products and services companies uh, and uh, most often I was in client-facing roles. I actually find those uh, types of roles most rewarding, to be honest. As a, a technology company, a technology consulting company, we are in the business of uh, uh, working with uh, teams and, uh, you know, the, the business of HR. Uh, recruitment is, uh, even though I'm not exactly in the in the HR field, uh, the business of um Recruitment, building teams, uh, selecting people to uh, professionals to do the work for our clients is, is very native to my entire career. Um, I um, so as part of my background, I've worked alongside customer teams, helping them envision, plan, and execute on a um, variety of different technology initiatives, many of which were large global programs. So I'm very used to working with distributed teams across the world. Um, I've been with my current company, EPAM, for almost 13 years, and it's been a very interesting and dynamic journey as the company expanded in size, market share, headcount, and obviously client portfolio. And uh, I've had the privilege of working with some of the um, incredibly talented people at EPAM, and it's one of the reasons why I've been here for so long, actually. Um, at the present moment, um, I'm responsible for managing our uh, diverse account portfolio uh, at ETAM uh, across Northeast, Southeast, and Midwest of, of the country and uh, helping our clients deliver on their business goals with the help of technology services that ETAM provides. So um, to answer the second part of your question, you know, how I um, have gotten involved with um, the field of intelligent automation, um, uh, uh, RPA, um, as I mentioned, throughout my career, I've worked with many different technologies, and um, a few years ago, through some of the client-related work I was doing, I became interested in this new, at that time, uh, technology direction focused on robotic process automation. It's, um, it's not so new anymore. I think many people are aware of the of the field, um, but I will talk a little bit about what it is in a second. Uh, so along with me, uh, EPAM started focusing on the topic of automation and, and our clients became more and more interested in learning how it can be applied to their business. In essence, uh, by adopting um, robotic process automation or RPA, organizations can automate uh, Right of manual rule-based processes with the help of software programs, and as a result, get to 
whatever their goals may be, whether it's higher levels of efficiency, accuracy, speed, predictability, uh, etc. So that was actually a few years ago, but the field of automation has evolved uh, significantly and uh, rapidly in these couple of years. And with that evolution, there came additional application and um, expansion of the automation technology that now includes cognitive abilities uh, such as natural language processing, speech recognition, computer vision, technology, machine learning, all with the goal to help uh, process and understand large amounts of data, whether it's structured, unstructured, and um, the, the, the programs can learn on the go. So this evolution is now being referred to by the term of intelligent automation, and um, it actually includes simple automation such as RPA and not so simple. Uh, automation that encompasses machine learning, computer vision, and other things that I so. Explain. Great. Um, um, so what does the company do? So, um, as you can gather from uh, from our website, I'm as a global provider of digital platform engineering and software development services. So what that means is that we. Software products and platforms, whether they're enterprise-based systems or consumer-focused, such as websites, mobile apps, etc., something that we use every day as, as um, uh, consumers. Uh, Ethan started as a software engineering company in 1993, and since then we've uh, grown our capabilities to include strategy, consulting, design, and many, many others. Um, we work with customers across a variety of different industries. Uh, including healthcare, life sciences, media entertainment, financial services, publishing, retail, uh, high-tech, automotive, many, many others. Uh, we're large. Uh, we're in 25 countries across North America, um, Europe, Asia, Australia. And um, as it relates to the topic that we're, that we're talking about uh, today, which is intelligence automation, um, uh, you know, to meet our client demands and interest in this type of technology adoption, my uh, my colleagues and I, um, a couple of years ago, embarked on building a practice at EPAM that focuses on just that, enabling our clients to apply the potential automation and related benefits to their business. So um, what it means for us uh, as a technology company, uh, it means you know, a lot of learning, partner relationship building, identifying and training consulting and technology teams, and most importantly, working with our clients um, and their organizations side-by-side as they look to change the focus from uh, manual orchestration of tasks to automation and uh, uh, the ultimate goal of scoring some wins together. That, that, that sounds very theoretical. Could you give me an example of a kind of HR project that you that you do and what your company would do in it? Uh, sure. Um HR uh, industry in, in itself has uh, a lot of touch points that uh, are great candidates, absolutely great candidates for automation, starting with uh, the interview process, um, actually starting with the candidate sourcing process, for example. You can, um, there's a lot of manual uh, interaction with, uh, with the search data, for example. You can apply some automation to um, 
to uh, the algorithm that are, algorithms that are uh, getting the data and um, what um, our recruiting teams are used to by uh, going through you know files and piles of, of resumes and profiles to understand how um, uh, the background matches the job descriptions. Uh, there are ways of applying automation and applying uh, rule-based processing to um, weed out, um, weed out uh, unnecessary um, references and only focus on those profiles that are most relevant to, to the uh, job searches. Um, another way is in employee onboarding. Uh, background checking is a big area that can be uh, looked at uh, as candidates for automation. Um, and and uh, then there, there are a few others as well. Great, great. Um, so, so, so you've got this um, process. I guess, I guess the way that you come into a company is is you you find some sort of contact and then you go understand how they do their work. So there must be a mapping of their processes, and then you apply automation to those existing processes. Is that how it works? So. Um, it's a, it's a very uh, interesting topic that you bring up because our clients often ask us, you know, where do I begin, right? Where do I start? Uh, and what's extremely important, uh, well, first of all, you have to um, find a specific business area that is a good candidate for automation. Typically, that decision is made based on um, the level of uh, manual um, effort that is required to, to process uh, the, the, the business tasks that, that are part of that business area. So once you select the, the business area, then you kind of have to identify a champion, champion group or a couple of people that understand the business area very well. Um, and from there, uh, there's a process that we go as, a, as an organization that, that helps our, um, our clients. We, um, we get together with them, and we uh, look at the data uh, um, being used, and we try to identify, um, based on, on a set of parameters, what are the job standards for, for automations. And um, in some cases, that means you have to select that as in some cases, that means that you um, need to simplify the process further and, and break it into multiple components. Got it. Okay, so so tell me about the tools you use to build automation. Um, um, I'm interested in, in open source tools that you might use and whether or not there are some sorts of um, industry standard tools. I don't know very much about RPA, so, so, so enlighten us about the tools that you use to accomplish these tasks. Working with, in, in uh, RPA, there were right uh, um, and uh, 
number of tools that uh, are out there, and um, they're used for simple process formation. And uh, there are those that allow for more uh, complex end-to-end uh, -end, uh, process building. So, um, for example, uh, the tools that we most commonly come across, um, those are Blue Prism, WorkFusion, um, UiPath, Automation Anywhere. Uh, those are the ones that I think we as a um, technology provider work most often with on behalf of our clients. Got it. Okay, so, so now you've got a, a library of um, automation scripts, I guess you might call them. I'm not sure if that's, if that's good language. You can help me out there. And they require management and maintenance over time. How does that work? So um, I think it all depends on the type of a tool that uh, we're talking about. Some are really complex, uh, and I, I want to compare them to like some really complex, you know, ARP systems. But uh, in, in many cases, those those tools are quite quite uh, great level, and they require, you know, dedicated uh, teams and and uh, professional to manage them. Very simple, UI driven, uh, you know, business to um, to manage with the help of uh, of business users and almost no no IT um, interaction. So uh, it really depends on, on the type of tool that, that that we're talking about. But I think where where you're um, going with your question is what's important is uh, management of the uh, programs that are that are written to hmm. to have the process to have the methodology in place to go and change the program that is written right so um, the that is something that companies are very focused on uh, as they build um, what's what is becoming common um, a center of excellence in the organization that is tasked with understanding what are the processes that need to be in place in order to uh, manage changes to the to the existing um, implementations of automation technology. So, so along those lines, you've got, as I understand this, and please correct me if I if I if I am um, misunderstanding, but you've got automation which essentially takes data from one system, integrates it, perhaps processes it and adds some additional um, intelligent insight to it and then presents it out the other end. And the, the big question in that is how do you guarantee that the, that the input data continues to arrive in the same format and then when it's interrupted because the vendor has changed the format of, of its output or some internal process has renamed stuff, you have to fix it. And so a, a big bugaboo in systems that integrate other pieces is that you can't really predict the variable costs associated with managing the thing. How do you, how do you help people understand what they should expect um, in the management and maintenance of, of their RPA? 
Um, this is actually a very, very good uh, question. I don't know if you've heard of the term before, but uh, essentially it's, uh, it's a, a person, a group of people, a function uh, that generally products the team, automation that is uh, tasked with uh, precisely that, dealing with exceptions. So uh, when something changes uh, or there is a rule that cannot be processed for whatever reason or there is an, uh, a new set that, that was um, introduced and uh, the program cannot uh, process uh, 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 the data, the information in the same way that is uh, that it's used to, is uh, without an exception. An exception is a, is a business term, um, not 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 a technology exception where you get like an error, but uh, it throws an exception and it goes into uh, a specific queue usually, and people go through that queue and resolve these exceptions. Um, the tools that are uh, fairly sophisticated that are out there can then take the exceptions and uh, the outcome of the resolution and throw it back into the, into the program to uh, basically effectively train the machine to process uh, this type of an exception next time better. So that's, um, that type of um, um, example is actually at the heart of the machine learning algorithms where the uh, program gets smarter as they process uh, new sets of data and process new volumes of data and are able to be trained on exception handling better. Does that make sense? Oh, sure. I understand. I understand how you do it. I, I, I'm asking really because, because you're integrating disparate systems and there's a maintenance problem associated with the system. I'm asking how you budget for the volume, how do you know what the right level of effort is to associate with solving those exceptions as they arise? Because everybody has to do a budget, right? So, so, so one of the, the questions about RPA is whether or not you can control the variable costs after installation. Um, sure, and that's, uh, that's something that comes with experience uh, of um, Doing these types of implementation for implementations for um, um, different clients, because then our technology teams, our, our implementation teams, can uh, answer specific questions uh, around maintenance costs and around. Uh, mm effort and people are required to, to support uh, the, the program going going forward. But, you know, I think to your question, uh, the level of uh, support costs that may be required really depends on the type of tool that uh, the company is uh, is implementing. Okay. So so there's, there's a lot of competition for smart development talent these days. How does EPAM compete for talent? Uh, that's, uh, that's a very uh, interesting and uh, timely uh, question because there's uh, definitely uh, a lot of competition. Um, while I'm not in the 
talent acquisition or HR department, like I mentioned, I'm responsible for hiring various teams so that I can give you some examples of how I built my teams and develop talent from my perspective. Hope that works. Um, even even as competing with our global IT companies for the same talent, and with our size and scale, we have a global talent acquisition organization that focuses on finding the right talent in the right location. And uh, we work closely with several universities uh, around the world, where we have majority of, in, especially in the, in the locations where we have majority of our talent. Um, to ensure that they're teaching the right skills and material that is needed to work at a company like ETAM. And uh, one of the most important points about the this, this so-called war for talent in the tech industry is that once you bring the talent on board, you need to be able to keep them. And to address this, we are a fairly substantial, we have a fairly substantial ecosystem of uh, internal platforms that really helps with our employee engagement and um, helps grow their skills and keep them engaged and, and excited about the work. So um, we have a very extensive career development program that helps our employees define how they want uh, their careers to look and kind of gives them an opportunity to work on many different projects across uh, different industries and in some cases in other countries. We We have a uh, global mobility program that is very popular within our organization. And, uh, they would, I mean, I think the, the crux of, of competing for talent is our ability to give our people continuous opportunities to grow their talent um, careers with us, and uh, that's becoming more and more important, especially for young people. Thanks. So, so what are the key ethical issues in in RPA? Um, there's a lot of uh, literature, I think, uh, uh, around this topic right now. Um, automation has the potential to reshape the workforce, so there's a feeling out there that robots are going to eliminate uh, jobs. And um, analysts are saying that um, they expect this issue to hit the market sometime over the next 20 years, and um, it can obviously affect many industries, not just uh, those that rely on, on manual labor, but uh, for like task processing, but also industries such as automotive and transportation with the promise of um, self-driving cars and trains, for example. So uh, getting back to the question about uh, ethical issues, um, while over some period of time reduction of jobs is sort of a real threat, is not just about cost reduction. It's, it's about increasing efficiency, uh, availability of service, uh, like robots don't need to work in shifts or, or sleep, um, refocusing on speed of processing and, and on customer satisfaction. So I see that some companies that are looking at ways of how they can reshape the focus of, of the workforce, um, and there are things that come also get smarter and not prepared for the shift. So I, we see some enterprises are implementing large and small-scale uh, different change management programs focusing on retraining staff and enabling people who do manual work to learn um, how to manage robots, and that's what we talked about, solutions, how to help programs respond to unknown conditions and, and exceptions um, in order to get smarter next time. 
So that's one thing. Uh, and the second thing I think the industry is facing is um, this the so-called trust and, and security uh, concerns with automation. Um, you can trust the person to do something uh, or rely on him and, or her to handle the situation appropriately, but when work is done by robots or automated solutions um, and they continue to get smarter through machine learning uh, and AI, the question then becomes, can we program enough controls? And I think that's what you were um, alluding to with some of the questions. Um, can we program enough controls that the robots follow the script and, or do we have adequate oversight that the process hasn't changed since the robot has been programmed? So those are kind of two things. And then another thing that comes to mind is the question of the possibility and risk of bias. I don't know if have you heard about that? No. Nope. The research. The, the no, tell me. Uh, um, so uh, while algorithms have the potential of getting smarter all the time, it often takes uh, a human eye to detect these biases as well as um, having humans to steer them back, right? So um, it's important to keep this issue in mind as we pour our energy into making technology do our work. So some algorithms may have hidden biases in them, and some unbiased algorithms can become biased if they stay the same. Uh, so those are probably the three things that I would point out. Fantastic. So, so what makes you come different? Um, that question is uh, something we get asked uh, very often, so I'll be happy to answer. Um, we like to call ourselves developers, developers, uh, because the company was built actually from some largest companies in the world. So we worked alongside them, and uh, we took those best practices into our own organization and, and uh, uh, continually bring it to our clients. Um, um, our CEO, uh, his name is Ricardo Dobkin, he started the company in 1993 with just himself and two other employees, and uh, the company quickly grew by word of mouth because of the quality of the work that we've been doing. Um, in 2012, IPAM became the first company with uh, Belarusian roots uh, to go public on the New York Stock Exchange. And uh, since uh, since then, we've expanded uh, um, into 26,000 people in over 25 countries, uh, and uh, it's actually our 25th anniversary this year. So we're very excited about that milestone. Fantastic. So it's been a great conversation. Why don't you take a minute to reintroduce yourself and tell us how to get a hold of you? Sure. I'm Regina Diadra with EPAM, and uh, you can find me on LinkedIn or email me at uh, Regina underscore Diadra at epam.com. Thanks very much. It's been great talking with you, Regina. I appreciate you taking the time to do this this morning. We've been talking with with Regina Viandro, who is uh, responsible for EPAM's business portfolio across the New York metro area, the Southeast and the Midwest, and an expert in RPA and intelligent automation. Thanks for tuning in, and thanks again, Regina. It's been great talking with you. Bye-bye now, and we'll see you next week.